0: These days, it's not hard to figure out what people are against. Loud opinions on social media, tense conversations with friends or family, lines drawn in the sand. Maybe we need to redefine what we're against. good morning, community. Uh, For those who don't know me, I'm the one who cheers for the surveys. Uh, My name is John Prine. I am the pastor here, and we have been diving into this really rich series, a series of conversations that uh, are really looking at the divisions, the tensions, the struggles that our culture currently faces, and is asking, what does it mean for us to actually be against something as the church? What is it that we actually need to be against? Uh, So this week, uh, last week we looked at divisiveness, divisions, which was a great conversation. This week we want to go more personal and close to home. We want to talk about loneliness. So uh, loneliness, as a recent Harvard report uh, indicated, had hit new all-time highs in 2021. Harvard put together this pretty exhaustive study. And this is the number they threw out. I'm going to sit with this number for a bit because numbers are sort of hard for us to envision and conceptualize. Harvard discovered that in their rigorous analysis uh, right in the middle of the pandemic, they found 37% of Americans report feeling serious loneliness. 37%. And this was followed by another 36% who report feeling lonely regularly. So you've got about 70% of America in the middle of a pandemic responding to the question, to pretty exhaustive, rigorous analysis of their life, questions all around, how regularly do you experience loneliness? And almost 70%, and that 37% especially, say almost all the time. Uh, There are clear surface level reasons, I think, for why loneliness is hitting us right now with a particular ferocity. Uh, There's clearly a pandemic which caused social distancing. Uh, I know for many of you here in the city, uh, if you were living with roommates or even especially if you were living on your own, I, I mean, just this realization that you were restricted, almost confined to isolation for an extended period of time. Uh, The study has also highlighted that young adults, particularly those under the age of 35, are reporting a resounding and ever-increasing percentage of loneliness. So, loneliness used to be this epidemic that was talked about with the elderly, which kind of makes sense. The elderly often find themselves isolated. Their resources for travel are more limited and restricted, and uh, they're really dependent on family to be involved in their lives, and family is often quite busy. But surprisingly, numbers are continually increasing to suggest that young adults are beginning to outpace the elderly as those who report regular and constant loneliness. Interestingly, the report said that a struggle with serious loneliness was not necessarily reflective of the circumstance of those that they were investigating, but that instead uh, the consistent patterns they unearthed was that a person who was saying they were regularly lonely often had, and this is to quote from the report, self-defeating thoughts and behaviors where the person had internalized a pattern of relating to the world that believed they didn't truly matter or deserve the attention others could provide. So, so if you sit with that, what's really difficult and challenging is that we have a number of factors right now in our society that have put up the pressure. They've ramped up the pressure on our loneliness. Uh, we particularly had a pandemic we just walked out of that has r- probably left you lonely at some point. Apologies. Well, that's... Uh, It's fun that the iPad picks up phone calls. It's great. Uh, But in particular, you personally, you personally, as much as it's our society and our culture that's putting pressure on our loneliness, you possibly have these internalized messages, this pattern of behavior and beliefs that have caused you to think that maybe you don't deserve the attention that someone else could provide you. Now, just to sort of... Look at this in a broad sense. I think we can often picture when we talk about loneliness, the sort of isolated individual who's tucked away in their tiny apartment and is uh, sitting on their computer all day and doesn't have a chance to interact with a lot of other people. But I I was struck as I was contemplating loneliness, as I was reflecting on it, as I was even wondering what sort of captures a culture's struggle with loneliness. Uh, I found myself watching again a video from Saturday Night Live two years ago when Justin Bieber was releasing new songs that had never before been played. Did any of you get a chance to see this? And Bieber is sitting by himself in his dressing room. He has a microphone, and here is one of the world's biggest pop stars, one of the uh, pinnacles of wealth and success, a cultural icon, and the words that Justin Bieber chooses to sing in the middle of 2020 that almost seems to capture our culture's struggle, is, what if you had it all, but nobody to call? Maybe then you'd know me, because I've had everything, but no one's listening, and that's just lonely. I'm so lonely. Lonely. I'm so lonely. Now, I spared you my own Justin Bieber impersonation to sing it, but I think even just reading those words out loud help. They help them hit. They settle in. Why is it that our culture is so lonely right now? Why are you so often lonely? And maybe far more importantly, what is the church's vision or response to this epidemic of loneliness? As we turn to the scriptures, I just want to start with a rather stunning verse. If we slow down with it, this comes from Psalm 68. In it, the psalmist is going to write that God, God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. God is in his holy dwellings. God sets the lonely in families. Uh, If you think about the ancient world for just a minute, like I know for many of us. uh, We have our own family systems. Many of you may or may not have great relationships to your parents, to your siblings, uh, may or may not have active family members that you can reach out to and rely upon. But I I just want to take us back a minute historically to think about Israel where this psalm was written. And Israel in the ancient world, if we pull this up, Israel was actually surrounded, much like it is today, by a huge host of threats. Uh, Threats, surrounded Israel. You had Egypt down south. You had the Kurdish up north. You had Persia, which would become this world empire sitting over to the east. Babylon was a military uh, might. Assyria was a constant danger. And the reality was, as you were living your life and working your job, if you tried to make it on your own, if you tried to go off and just put your head down and work, you would be exposed and vulnerable To every threat around you, you'd be vulnerable to famine, you'd be vulnerable to uh, disease, you'd be vulnerable to uh, war, any sort of physical, emotional, sociological threat you can imagine. If you were alone, you had no ability to resist it. But the hope then, in the ancient world, the hope was that if you had a big family, a big family that could take care of you, that could surround you, that could be there with you, that could manage with you if something went wrong. Uh, Even better, if your family was connected to a lot of other families, if you were part of actually a tribe, a group of descendants that all banded together and took care of each other, or even better, if your tribe was connected to other tribes that together formed a people, a people that could be committed and connected to each other. Now this, this could allow you to actually navigate and endure all of the threats, all of the challenges that were coming at you. And this is incredibly what God offers to Israel when he says, "I not only will choose you to be my people, but I'm going to choose you to be placed in my family. If you are fatherless, I will father you. If you are a defender of widows, I will comfort you. If you are lonely, I'm going to set you in my family. God puts the lonely into his family. I think that is a beautiful and profound biblical thought that we miss so easily today in our culture. Yet it gets even more rich, doesn't it, as you move to the New Testament because God didn't just pick Israel. You get this fascinating verse in the Gospels in Matthew 12. As Jesus was talking to the crowd, his mothers and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone said to him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mothers and brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now, Uh, Some of you are still probably going to get a chance to go Memorial Day weekend to see family. Uh, If you chose to quote this verse, I think it would land just as poorly today as it would have landed in Jesus' day. This is not exactly a kind encouragement to a family member, particularly in the ancient world where your family was everything, but catch what Jesus is saying. Jesus is literally painting a picture, is inviting us, is envisioning with us If you follow God, you will find yourself in a new family. You will become my people as you walk with me. Even my own flesh and blood are not as prioritized as my new family in God. The theologian Stanley Hauerwas, as he was commenting on this verse, notes that to be a disciple of Jesus is to be made a part of a new community in which the family is reconstituted. We are all children, but now a community has been established in which we are called to be parents, brothers, and sisters to and for one another. Now, again, some of you have rich and wonderful family lives, and so this is, this is a nice bit of good news, but some of us here, probably a good chunk of us here, I find particularly people who find themselves in the city, often find themselves in the city because for some reason or another, they have ventured out from their family, right? You came here for some reason, something called or drew you here, whether it was work or school or opportunity or just the arts and culture that the city had to present, but now you have found yourself exposed, sort of living out in the world. And the question is, what will you do when loneliness comes? And Jesus is saying, my dream for you, my invitation for you, is to find yourself part of a new family, a reconstituted family. The family that maybe you did have, or maybe the family you've never had. This is what God wants his church to be for each other. Imagine if this church could be for you, your family in the city, your brothers and sisters, your fathers and mothers. Imagine if you actually had someone to call when you were having a tough week. Imagine if something happens in a key relationship in your life that you're trying to navigate and you had a wise, caring mentor that you could get on the phone. Imagine if you had to move as many of you have and will and will continue to need. And you had people here who would show up no matter what because they just love you and they want to help you. This is part of what the church in the city can be. Um, there actually is a sort of fascinating experiment going on over in the UK by a guy named Sanderson Jones, who is an atheist, and yet who was wrestling himself with the increasing signs that Uh, in an atheist vision of the world. He had no answer or ability to respond to loneliness. And so he actually chose to visit the church, three churches in London, and tweet about his experience. And while these experiences didn't profoundly shift his worldview, what he noted, intriguingly, was that he said, I think churches should recognize that they're already doing so much right. He goes on to explain when he's greeted at the front door, as hopefully all of you were, when he's offered a cup of coffee and someone starts talking to him who's never met him before, he said it just was the most basic things that you begin to take for granted in church land, which are, in fact, really powerful. I just want to encourage you. I know some of you have been walking with Community Lincoln Park for a while, and as I've come into this church... You love each other. like You actually are there for each other. You celebrate each other's birthdays. You care when something bad happens. You walked with each other through the pandemic. And to that end, I think the reason why this church is here and is flourishing right now is because you seriously practice this way of Jesus, this vision that, in, that embraces each other as family. Yet, that said, living as family is hard and tiring, and exhausting, and actually always does have this sense of sort of fear, like maybe you're going to get taken advantage of, maybe your old family wounds are going to get stirred back up, maybe someone's not going to appreciate you, and so the challenge for us as a church, and the, the vision for those of you who are just beginning to join us, just beginning to walk for us, is that we need to keep extending this family out we have to keep extending what the family can be more and more to each other and so there's a practice a simple practice that the church has actually always valued and always centered around and it is the practice of hospitality so this morning i just want to close with three simple ways that we can begin to actually push back against this epidemic of loneliness by extending hospitality to each other. And my hope is that if you're here and you're sort of part of this core, I hope we keep going. I hope we push this out. I hope we begin a new season, particularly as the summer's rolling around, as the fall comes in, of deepening and expanding the love that we have for each other. And if you're just getting started, I want you to know this is what we want to offer you. We want to be your family in the city while you are here with us. So what is hospitality? Why, why the word hospitality? If you actually get into the Greek, into the New Testament, hospitality is uh, xenophila, xenophilia, which quite literally translates the love, philia, of a stranger, a xeno. Uh, in the ancient world especially, think about how risky and yet profound this would have been. You lived in a society in which there were actual physical threats, right? Thefts and muggings. Uh, You lived often in villages where it was rich family ties. So everybody who lived near you was all related to you, and that was how your village functioned and thrived. So in this world, when a stranger, when a Zeno walks into your community, the question is, will you guard yourselves? Will you close off the ranks and push that stranger out? Or will you open up the richness of your family to invite this stranger in, to care for, to meet the needs of, to even love, philia, this stranger. Uh, Here's how Paul and Peter were wrestling with it, talking about it with the early church. Paul would say in Romans, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice xenophilia. Practice the love of a stranger. Uh, Peter would add this, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Love the stranger without grumbling. I mean, I think Peter's wrestling a little more really with some of the tensions that were already cropping up. But what does it mean to love a stranger? What does it actually look like for us to practice this as the church? Well, uh, the phrase I want to leave you with this morning, I'm going to repeat a couple times, is that hospitality is the practice of opening our eyes, our homes, and our lives to one another. Hospitality is the practice of opening our eyes, our homes, and our lives. So let's begin with opening our eyes. Here's the thing about hospitality and loneliness. Many of us are living a full life. Uh, I have the joy and the privilege, which I realize not everyone does, of being married. That is a gift. It's wonderful. I have the joy and privilege and responsibility of having two young children right now, which feels a little more responsibility than it does always feel joy. Uh, but there's lots and lots of joy and lots and lots of responsibility. Uh, and what that means is that my life is, my life is pretty full. Uh, my life has a lot of People moving around me almost all the time. I have to get up in the morning because if I don't, my kids will start crying. I, I have someone when the day is winding down who almost always is there with me to process, to reflect, to talk. But recently, I had the chance to fly out, as some of you knew, for two and a half weeks as I was beginning this job. And for those two and a half weeks, some of you heard me refer to my renewed bachelor existence the renewed bachelor existence. Now, you would think, according to pop culture, that bachelor life is fun, (laughs) joyful, uh, that I suddenly, without the responsibilities of a marriage and my children, I would have roamed freely across this great city and ate whatever I wanted and drank coffee whenever I wanted and did whatever else whenever I wanted. You know what I actually found in those two and a half weeks, to be real with you? I found myself incredibly lonely like all the time all the time because i was alone i I walked places alone i i slept alone i sat and i ate alone i was recently talking to somebody that i i know i am feeling lonely when i watch youtube on my phone during meals now that's not a judgment on any of you who do that but like we're just having real talk for a minute right like, that, that there's something going on in me when a meal, which is this moment of f- joy and food and delight, especially good meal, I find myself instead just trying to get through it, right? Like, just, just distract, just numb, just avoid. And so my point is this. Uh, for some of us here, that loneliness is actually your lived reality right now. And again, it's not just if you're, single. It's not just if you do or don't have family nearby. For some of us, it's work. In the context of our work, for some of us, we're in a marriage, but the marriage isn't going well. We're struggling. For some of us, we're in a family, but there's a lot of pain in our family, and we find ourselves just lonely all the time. If that's you, if that's you, then what I'm here to say is the church wants to be here for you. The church wants to practice love of you the church wants to meet your needs but here's how it has to happen if we're going to become the kind of church that meets lonely people in their loneliness we have to first connect for those of us especially who aren't currently lonely we have to connect to the experiences of loneliness we've had to propel us out to see the loneliness in others so what i mean by this in opening our eyes that we have to connect to the times we've been lonely if we're going to start seeing the lonely people around us. Uh, I've noticed that when I am with my wife at a meal or when I'm with friends at a meal, it feels like all of my energy, my focus, my attention is on that table and it's great. But when I am sitting alone at a table, when I connect to my own loneliness, I actually can begin to see all of the other tables around me <laughs> in which a person is sitting by themselves, in which they probably are lonely. Uh, So my encouragement for you is you're just sitting in this moment, when was the last time you felt lonely? When was the last time you remember being lonely? And how could that become the invitation, become the moments that you start opening your eyes to pay more attention to the loneliness around you? I think for married couples this could look like us doing a better job of noticing those who are not married in our friendship groups, in our horizons, and beckoning them in, inviting them over, having a meal with and for them. That, of course, could also be the other married couples in our lives who seem to be lonely. Uh, For those of us who are single, I think it's looking around at this group of friends you have and realizing, wow, there's so much connection here with these couple of friends, but what about those who are there on the outside, even at work, even in those coworker moments where you've gathered around the water cooler or whatever your water cooler is, your Zoom breakout room, whatever it is these days, and you start to realize there's always somebody who is a stranger, isn't there? And it's only if you're going to connect to your own loneliness that you're going to care at all about meeting that person's needs. Here's my last thought for you on this. Uh, my wife and I have fun chats because she's an introvert and I'm an extrovert. And we have found ourselves in ministry moments together where uh, extroversion works quite well in ministry. Kind of, I like talking to people. I want to talk to you. I'm glad when you start talking to me. My wife hates those socially awkward moments where she doesn't know anybody and she's standing in a room and she's just waiting and wondering what's gonna happen next. Like all the fear wells up in her. I'm sure some of you are the same way. And as we've talked about it, one of the breakthrough thoughts my wife just loved and that helped her was that she heard me at one point say, you know, I think one of the things that helps me talk to people is just realizing, like if I were them, I'd want me to go up and talk to them. (laughs) You know, it's almost as simple as that. Like if I was that person, I would want them to want to talk to me. So if if I can do that, if I can just go talk to them, then that could actually be the thing that opens up this experience for them. Uh, What could it be for you that breaks through your own barriers to loving the strangers in your life? How could you open up your eyes? Second practice, I think this is more obvious for most of us, opening up our homes. Now the encouragement, the encouragement is some of us have very small homes, and so to you I would say, have fun and get creative. What are the homes that you can use to open up to another person? How might a coffee shop become your home? How might a restaurant table become an extension of your home? How might a park that is free to spend time in become this extension of invitation where you just say to someone, hey, do you want to come meet up with me and go for a walk? Do you want to come sit somewhere with me? Uh, Homes give us the chance to meet genuine needs. Homes become spaces that offer safety and security to others. Homes can even become these sort of bright lights of beauty where when a person enters into your home and they see sort of your world there waiting for them, whether it's books or your TV or the art you've put on the walls or the pictures that you have in your frames, uh, the beauty of your life actually gets to become this ministry that speaks and nourishes those who enter into your home. So how might your home become a means of loving the strangers here in this church and the strangers that you're currently in orbit to. Uh, Finally, opening our lives. If love of the stranger is about opening our eyes, and opening our homes, what we end up finding ourselves pressed up against is that to truly do this well, to truly fight loneliness, at some point it's going to actually become vulnerable and costly for us. At some point, to be family for each other, we're gonna actually have to sacrifice our time. We're gonna have to sacrifice our evenings or our mornings. We're going to have to sacrifice our money to care for, to love on, to extend that invitation to others. So Lauren Winner, who's a brilliant theologian down at Duke, talks about it this way. She says, we're not meant to simply invite people into our homes but to actually invite them into our lives. Having guests and visitors, if we do it right, is not an imposition, because we are not meant to rearrange our lives for our guests. We are meant to invite our guests to enter into our lives as they are. Uh, There's a really beautiful book that came out a couple years ago by another thinker who has a really profound story herself called Rosario Butterfield. Uh, Rosario was a literature scholar. She was a big deal in this sort of postmodern literary theory circles. And yet, in her postmodernism, in her atheism, uh, she had a couple articles where she was critiquing Christianity, and she describes how she got invited in to a regular old pastor's home to have a conversation with him about the articles. And she said she'd just never been invited by someone she opposed to come eat a meal, and so she was sort of intrigued. And as Rosaria Butterfield enters this person's life, she starts to become more and more intrigued by the life that he was living. And finally, it comes to this moment where she realizes that this thing she had been pressing against was actually extending this hand of hospitality to her. And as she grapples with the gospel, she has a whole story about how she came back to God Uh, She ended up putting this book together about the life she's been living since, in the 10 years plus since she's become a Christian. And her title is This The Gospel Comes With a House Key. The Gospel Comes With a House Key. So I think this is our challenge, this is our task, yet this is also the possibility of the church. In a world that is divided, in a world that is lonely, could we become the kind of community? that loves the stranger that actually practices opening our eyes opening our homes and opening our lives to one another so this week what might it look like what might it look like for you to see someone's loneliness in a moment where you yourself have been lonely what might it look like, even this Memorial Day, even though these next couple days everyone's doing something fun, what would it look like to open your home intentionally? Is there someone here in this community that you could make a simple invitation to? You're not going to wait on them to invite you over. You reach out and ask them, would you like to enter into my home? Finally, is there someone there that's just on the hori—the sort of periphery of your life that you're starting to feel that costliness to but that instead of pushing away, instead of putting up the barriers, instead of putting up the guardrails, you actually instead extend the house key to. You offer them a renewed invitation into the very center of your life. Um, As I think and pray about this vision for us, uh, I have just a map here of Chicago. It's one of those cool neighborhood maps that some of you probably have in your homes. I think, as we talk about the real issues facing the world today, I think that the hope for our city is that the church, not just our church, but the church, would actually reclaim this ancient practice of truly and genuinely loving strangers. Now, if we did that, we would start to see these little beacons of light one right up there in Lincoln Park, Uh, bright lights located wherever your small group is meeting, wherever your tables are being extended, wherever your lives are walking as you commute in and out of work. That's where the gospel begins to extend itself out. That's where the true love of Jesus begins to be encountered. If we could practice hospitality, the costly act of loving strangers in our city. Jesus says this in John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Let me pray over us as we move into a time of response, into a time of communion. Lord, we live in a city that is lonely. Um, and even now, Lord, there are some here in this room who feel the incredible weight of loneliness in their day to day rhythms. And Lord, we pray. We pray that here, Community Lincoln Park, here through our small groups, here through our coffee times, here through the gatherings and events that we're going to be doing, here through the text messages and the day to day encounters with each other. Here, Lord, we pray that we might become a community that loves the stranger that learns to open our eyes, open our homes, and open our lives to each other. We pray that here at Community, we would actually become a taste of the family of God, that brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers in the faith would become the resource of love that each one of us needs. We pray, Lord, through this practice of hospitality that there would be new, lonely people new lonely strangers who find their way back to God through the way that we love one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.